Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Syndicate Business Brief, a joint podcast from The China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of the China Project. In this week's episode, TikTok CEO Shou Chu, or Shou Zi, defends the app's independence in a congressional hearing. Tron founder Justin Sun is sued by the U.S. securities regulator for crypto-related violations, and bad debt manager Huarong warns of big losses in 2022. Let's jump right in. TikTok is in the spotlight again. This Thursday, TikTok CEO Shou Chu, or Shou Zi, defended the app's operational autonomy and its commitment to user data security in a heated five-hour congressional hearing. Chu repeatedly asserted TikTok's independence from its Beijing-based owner ByteDance and flagged the company's efforts to isolate and protect user data as well as protect children and teenagers. But the Singaporean executive was faced with skeptical Democrats and Republican lawmakers who took a combative line of questioning, expressing concerns about the app's potential threat to national security and its influence on young users. Outside the hearing, TikTok supporters spoke against a potential ban on the app, saying that it creates a platform for them to express themselves or grow their small businesses. TikTok is used by some 150 million Americans, U.S. authorities are exploring how to get ByteDance to sell its stake in TikTok or face a ban in the country. Next, let's look at the recent lawsuit filed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, against Chinese crypto entrepreneur Justin Sun and his companies. Sun and three of his companies, including Tron Foundation, were charged with offering and selling unregistered securities in the form of two cryptocurrencies, TRX and BTT. The charges also include manipulating the secondary market for TRX. Swin's team said the charges lack evidence. The SEC also sued eight celebrities, including actress Lindsay Lohan, social media influencer Jake Paul, and porn film actress Kendra Lust for allegedly getting paid to promote Swin's cryptocurrencies without disclosing the sponsorship. 
Moving on to the plight of a state-owned financial conglomerate, China Huarong Asset Management, one of China's big four bad debt management companies, said it expects to post a net loss of about four billion U.S. dollars for 2022. Huarong attributed the expected loss to several factors, including volatility in the capital markets, which led to declines in the value of some assets. Similarly, adjustments to its business structure, the macroeconomic environment, as well as a slump in the property market. Also affected its business, the company said. China's big four asset management companies, including Huarong, were created in the wake of the Asian financial crisis in the late 1990s to safeguard the country's big four state-owned banks through the purchase of their bad debt. But under the leadership of its former chairman Lai Xiaoming, Huarong expanded beyond its original mandate and grew into a financial conglomerate. It engaged in a wide range of services, including securities, trusts, banking, and financial leasing. The aggressive debt-fueled expansion left it with hundreds of billions of yuan of borrowings it could not repay. Huarong has gone through a sweeping overhaul, which involved a state-backed bailout, a change of ownership, and sales of non-core assets. Now, some updates from China Evergrande. The world's most indebted property developer has laid out details of a multi-billion-dollar restructuring plan to address its offshore borrowings. The proposal released on Wednesday called for its offshore creditors to swap their debts for new securities such as bonds or other debt instruments. Evergrande said the debt restructuring. Would allow it to focus on returning to normal operations, although additional financing will be needed to ensure the delivery of its property. The developer fell into a liquidity crisis in the second half of 2021 amid sluggish sales and tightened regulations. It first defaulted on its public dollar bonds in December of that year. Let's turn now to Kelsey Chung, who is, of course, a co-producer of this program. Kelsey's going to talk about an interesting piece that she recently did、uh, about one of China's largest fabric trading and garment markets, and how its future is now filled with uncertainty. Hello, Kelsey, and welcome back to the show. So, tell us about this market and、uh, why its future is now in doubt. Yes, that's right. We're talking about the Zhongda Market, which is located in Guangzhou's Haizhou District. And when I was writing the story, I thought calling it a market is somewhat an understatement because it's actually an area that covers nearly five square kilometers. And just to give everyone a brief idea, one square kilometer is about the size of 140 soccer fields. Wow. Yeah, the area is actually more of a cluster where more than four hundred and eighty thousand people find work at garment malls,、uh, small factories, workshops, warehouses, and logistics companies. That is indeed unbelievably huge.、Um, just to give our listeners a, a bit of history, when and how did this Zhongda market、uh, get get started? The market emerged in the late 1980s when street vendors began trading textiles produced in small-scale factories. That's also the time when the manufacturing industry in the Pearl River Delta thrived, with China's reform and opening up. And without any form of government planning, it runs on a highly market-oriented system. It has since expanded to reach annual sales of more than 200 billion yuan, which is close to 29 billion U.S. dollars, according to a government report published in January. 
And so how, how is it able to achieve that scale of business? That's a great question. Zhongda is renowned for its super agile supply chain. Local merchants work insanely fast there. They can design, pick and source fabrics, hire workshops, and pack and ship orders within 24 hours. The market is a major player for the domestic and international clothing industry and notably boosted the success of businesses such as Shein, which is, as we all know, the retailer which operates on a super-fast fashion business model that can pump out new products online in one to two days from conception. But all that is about to change, right? Yes, that's right. So spurred by the end of China's battle against COVID, the Guangzhou government has recently pushed ahead with a years-long plan to relocate the market alongside its around 25,000 merchants and business owners to Qingyuan, which is a city nearly 100 kilometers or 60 miles to the north. And why exactly would the government want to do that? The plan to move Zhongda is part of the Hong Kong, Guangdong, Macau, Greater Bay Area development and a broader effort to upgrade Chinese cities. At the same time, Guangzhou's textile business is also affected by a shortage of workers, rising labor costs, and exodus of traditional labor-intensive industries to cheaper areas in other parts of China and neighboring countries, including Vietnam. And what's more, due to its ad hoc development, the market has actually accumulated a litany of problems that have worsened over time. These include fire and safety hazards, disorderly construction, tax evasion, and of course, overpopulation. Oh, that sounds bad. Yes, and these problems were magnified by the COVID outbreaks in the area in October, which resulted in lockdowns that forced the wholesale markets to suspend trading and production for nearly two months. That seriously threatened supplies and the livelihoods of thousands of business owners and workers. So out of desperation, local merchants resorted to selling fabrics from home and on the street or even paying garbage collectors to hide shipments on their trucks to get them out to other markets. Frustration boiled over in November when protests broke out and a lot of residents clashed with local authorities. And that month, the government considered the idea of completely uprooting Zhongda and moving it to Qingyuan, according to sources. But after the end of zero COVID in early December, the government proposed a new plan to move only parts of the Zhongda ecosystem to Qingyuan. So garment workshops and manufacturing factories will be relocated, but trading and design activities, which are processes that generate more added value, will remain in Guangzhou. So how are people reacting to the plan so far? So based on our interviews, many merchants and business owners are still on the fence, despite the promise of more business space, government subsidies, and cheaper rent. 80% cheaper, actually. And, And why is that? That's because business owners are more concerned about the impact on their existing business and whether they will be able to find more business given that Qingyuan is a nascent market. Zhongda has developed in a way that distinct types and qualities of fabrics and finishing accessories are found in different locations, which are visited by very specific groups of customers, one shop owner told us. Other workshop owners said if they were forced out, they would just then set up shop in other nearby districts within Guangzhou, as their raw materials are all sourced from Zhongda, and their clients are in the area too. Another said the only factor on the minds of business owners is whether they can make more money after the relocation in the foreseeable future. So as you can see, Kaiser, many are still very reluctant to move. 
Well, that is indeed very complicated. Definitely a big headache for local governments. It'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, so, Kelsey, I hope you come back and tell us. Thank you so much for all your insights into this. You're welcome, Kaiser. Thanks for having me. And if our listeners are interested in more details on the story, please head over to TysonGlobal.com. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Tyson Seneca Business Brief was produced this week by Kaiser Guo and by Zhang Yukun, Lin Jinbing, Bernard Tio, and Yang Le at Tyson Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Tyson Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts in the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and Strangers in China, now in its third season. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from the China Project. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Take care.